do Torah and tea. Today we'll do the portion of Eira. And as we usually do, we do two, uh, two parts. Uh, the first one will be about Pesach, because we read in the uh, first part of the portion, we read about Hashem telling Moshe to go to Pharaoh and tell him to enter the Jewish people, to tell them that Hashem is going to take them out of the exile. And Hashem makes uh, various promises, as we'll see to them, that they'll be freed from Egypt. And there are um, several different languages. So this is already starting with Pesach over here. You can see there, you're sitting there. Yeah. They, uh, this is already uh, Pesach, uh, because, of course, we celebrate Pesach by the uh, remembering the redemption, the exodus of Egypt. So we'll talk a little bit about Pesach as it relates to this week's Parsha. Okay? And then later on, we'll talk a little bit about the plagues, about the plagues, uh, the first three plagues in our Parsha. And the next of the seven plagues are in the Parsha's Boaz, next week's Parsha. So, the discussion is going to go around about the four cups at the Seder that we drink, four cups of wine. And that corresponds technically to the four languages of redemption. When God, in our Parsha, talks to the uh, to the Jewish people, God is saying to them through Moshe Rabbeinu, He uses four different languages that He was going to take them out of Egypt. So, to correspond to each one of these four languages, we have four different cups one cup for each language. Okay, so let's see what the verse says. Okay. So let's read the verse a little bit. So it says like this. Just get this out of the way here. So the verse says like this. Lochain, this is verse 6. It says like this. Lochain emor libne Yisrael. Hashem says to Moshe, say this to the sons of Israel. Ani Hashem, I am God. Now if you noticed, I uh, highlighted a few of the verses. And then Hashem says, V'hotzeisi. That means, I will take out. Eschem. V'hotzeisi eschem. I will take you out from mitachas sivlos mitzrayim. From underneath the burdens of the Egyptian. So one verse says, I will take you out. V'hotzeisi. And then there is another verse. In the same verse, it says further, Vihitzalti. Hitzalti means I will save you. Vihitzalti eschem me'avoidosom. I will save you from their slavery, from working for them. And then it says again, Vigoalti eschem. And I will redeem you. with an outstretched arm. Uvishvotim gedoyle with great judgment. So in this first verse, in verse Vav, verse 6, we have three languages. I'll take you out. 
Vihitzalti, I will save you. Vigaalti, and I will redeem you. And in the next verse, 7, it says, Vilokachti. Lakachti means Eschem, I will take you. If you notice, each time it says also, Hotseisi etchem, take you out. Vihitzalti etchem, I will save you. Vigaalti etchem, I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am God, your God, who has taken you out from the, from the burdens of Egypt. So four languages here. To correspond to these four languages, we have four cups of wine. This is this is why we drink the four cups of wine on Passover, corresponding to the four languages of redemption. Okay? This is what this is given as the reason. For because Hashem told them four languages, that's why we drink four cups of wine. Another interesting commentary is for another reason why we drink these four cups of wine. So, if you remember the story with Pharaoh with the butler and Yosef. While Yosef was, Joseph was in prison, uh, the butler and the baker were both punished uh, by Paro. The Paro's butler and the baker were punished by Paro because they uh, somehow messed up and he put them into jail. And they were in the jail together with Yosef. Yosef was in jail, of course. They, they accused him of starting up with Potiphar's wife. It was the other way around. She started up with him. But they accused him of that, so they put him in jail. In that same jail, he finds the butler and the baker. And they both have a dream. And the butler has a dream in which he relates to Yosef. And that's how, because Yosef was able to interpret his dream, that's how eventually it got to Pharaoh that Yosef knows how to, to, to interpret dreams. And then Yosef interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and then he became the viceroy, the second in command, because of his interpretation of the dream. So here the verse records what the... Butler, the Saramashkin, was saying to Yosef what he saw in the dream. So he says, in my dream I saw the chois paro biyodi. The cup of paro is in my hand. And then it says, vo'ekaches ho'anovim, and I take, took the grapes, vo'eschat oisom el chois paro. And I took the grapes and I squeezed them into the cup of paro. And then I place this cup, Al-Kaf Pare, on Pare's hands. What does this dream mean, he asks Yosef. I have the Pare's cup, this isn't my dream, he's saying to Yosef. I have Pharaoh's cup in my hand, I take grapes, and I squeeze them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup on Pharaoh's hand. Yosef tells him, that means you're going to get your job back. That means that Pharaoh is going to forgive you for your misdeed, and you're going to become a butler again. You're going to be there. And that's the interpretation of this dream.
And what happened? Several verses later, if you notice, this is verse 11, this is verse 21, this goes first to verse 21. It says, Vayoshev esar hamashki It actually happened as Yosef had forecasted that he brought the Saramashkin back to his position to become the butler again. And Vayitein hakois al kaf pare. And he placed the cup on Paro's hand. Okay, so can you figure out why did I quote these two verses, Yudalaf and Chafalaf, why? Because there are four times the word kois. Kois means a cup. So kois one, kois two, kois three, and kois four. So that's where the source, that's why we have the four cups of wine that we drink at the Seder table is because to correspond to the four cups of wine that was in the Sarah Mashkin's dream, and that ha- that the uh, Pharaoh brought him back to his position. Okay. So that's there is other re- also some people say that the four cups is because the four exiles before the different. Now, so right now, but we're discussing two reasons. Okay. Is there a practical difference what the reason for the cup of wine is? So we have now, basically, we're discussing two reasons. Either the reason is because in the verse, in our portion, it uses four languages of redemption. It says, These are the four languages. Alternatively, there is another interpretation. That v'chos, that this is really corresponding to the four times that it says cup in the dream of the butler, and then like he gave the cup again, so four time kois, and that's why we drink four cups of wine. Okay, so what would be the difference? Okay, so let's just ask you a few questions. This is going to be a little bit of a uh, you know, little thinking over here. So we know that we recline during the Pesach Seder, right? We're talking about Pesach, we recline during the Pesach Seder. Okay? So, when do we recline? One of the times we recline is when we drink the four cups of wine. Now, you must know that today, women don't recline in many traditions, in some traditions, because the whole idea of reclining is really based upon the fact it shows on a way of freedom, a way of uh, importance. And, but today, because we don't really recline, even important people don't recline, uh, therefore, there is an exemption. The women don't, in, many, in some traditions, the women don't recline. But, but the bottom line is, there is reclining on the Seder. So, when do we recline? We drink when we drink the four cups of wine, we recline. So, but and then there's something else that before drinking each of the four cups of wine, we make the blessings, Bore Prihagofen. You see, every Shabbos, when you make Kiddush, you just make the Kiddush, you make Bore Prihagofen, 
That's one bracha, right? But what happens if you want to drink wine later on during the meal? You're not going to make another bracha. You make one bracha. But on Pesach, before drinking each of the four cups of wine, we make a special blessing of Boreh Prihagofen. Each one of these cups is considered to be its own mitzvah. So therefore, it's its own mitzvah, it's its own Boreh Prihagofen. The rabbis instituted that for every cup you drink, you make a bore pri hagofen. Okay, after we make the bore pri hagofen, and we're ready to drink the wine, so then we drink the wine while reclining. Okay? So what should happen? Somebody made a mistake. If one drinks the cup of wine and did not recline, Made a mistake, he just drank the wine without reclining. Supposed to recline, and he didn't. So, we will say, okay, you didn't recline, do it over again. So he needs to do it over and drink again. You know, because you didn't fulfill fully your obligation. Okay? Now, again, I say the actual halacha depends on which cup of wine you're at, but this is, I'm only, this, this is just for the discussion purposes. So, we say to him that he has to drink an additional cup of wine. Why? Because you didn't do it properly. What was the proper way to drink the wine? Was to recline. And you didn't recline, so therefore, do it again. However, my question that I want to ask you Does one make a bracha when drinking again? Before we said, before each cup, we make a bracha because each cup is its own mitzvah. Okay? But what happened if you did the mitzvah and not in the proper way? The mitzvah, the proper way, is to drink it while you're reclining. And you didn't recline. So we're telling you drink again. But if you're drinking again, are you going to make another bracha when you drink again? And this time you're going to recline when you drink again. Are you going to make another bracha when you recline? You want to say something? I want to guess? But my response to you is that the bracha that he made before drinking the cup and then he didn't recline if the fulfillment of the mitzvah of drinking the wine is that you have to recline when you're drinking it, and he didn't do the mitzvah properly, so you made a blessing in vain because you didn't didn't do the mitzvah. And now the next time when you're going to come and try to do the mitzvah, you're going to have to make another bracha. That is if we say that you can only fulfill the mitzvah of wine if you recline. If you didn't recline, then you didn't do the mitzvah properly. Let's give an example. So let's say, for example, if one drinks less than the required amount. You gave an example. You said if one should just take a sip. Okay? You made a mistake. You said a burp Now, in order for a person to fulfill the mitzvah, they have to drink at least the minimal amount is called a the majority of a revise, a revise, has to be a minimal amount. If you just took a sip, 
you didn't really fulfill the obligation of the drinking, because drinking is not a sip. Drinking has a shear, a requirement. Okay? You need to drink an ounce or two, whatever the shear is. But you can't just take a sip. If you took a sip, then you didn't... You know, the Torah has a lot of guidelines. You know, a lot of times people say, what does God care? Uh, You know, if I'll do it this way, I'll do it that way. We can't make up our own. You know, these are very precise and specific, the rules. If we follow the rules, then these rules have meaning. Because we have to remember, we're just doing physical acts. One can say, so what does the physical act do for Hashem? It makes God happy. If you do something, does it make a difference to Hashem if you do it this way or the other way? The bottom line is, Hashem says, if you do a physical act, you're actually accomplishing on the spiritual level tremendous things. You don't see. You don't see what's going on behind the curtain. But those acts can only be accomplished if you follow exactly the rules. So, if a person is just doing things because it's tradition, so it doesn't make a difference to them what they're going to do. It'll be a little like this, a little like that. But if a person is doing the traditions because they want to bring down that spiritual light, and they want to bring down the energies of the mitzvah, they want to bring down, they want to do the will of Hashem, they have to do the mitzvah precisely as it's prescribed. So, if the mitzvah, for example, drinking wine on the Seder table, it's not just, uh, just we'll, we'll go through the motion, we'll drink a sip. If it is, to fulfill the requirement. And the requirement is that there needs to be an ounce. I'm giving it as an example. So you need to drink an ounce. And the person says, look, you know what? I'm going to drink less than an ounce, and we're going to do a little bit. They haven't accomplished. They haven't done the mitzvah. They've you know, it's nice, they're sitting by the Seder, they're sipping a little wine, but they haven't really done the deal. And what happens? What happens is that they're not really uh, accomplishing what they could accomplish on the spiritual level because the physical drinking of that little wine doesn't seem to you to do much, but it turns in the highest of levels. The most spiritual levels, the Ein Sov, the infinite of Hashem, is drawn down into the world, brings blessings, brings energy. It's just an endless amount of uh, accomplishment that every little mitzvah does. But you know what? you got to do the mitzvah. If you don't do the mitzvah, and you just do something like the mitzvah, it's like saying, uh, you know, I got all the numbers right, but one law number, the lottery. Oh, okay, if you didn't get... Or I got the phone number, but I got just one uh, number off. You're not gonna. It's not gonna call the right party. <laughs> you gotta get all the numbers right. You can't get one number wrong. So I, you're gonna say, "Oh well, but I dialed uh, six of the seven numbers. I got right the lottery." No, no. You gotta get all the numbers right. If you didn't get all right, you get nothing. No. Well, the lottery gets something sometimes if you get uh, a lot of numbers. But you know. The idea is understood. You need to be able to do the things right in order to bring down the energy of Hashem. There's two things. If you're doing it just to feel and be part of traditions, but you're missing out on the, actually, on the main important part of doing the mitzvah. That's why it's very important to follow the rules. So, what happens if there is a requirement on the Seder to drink a certain amount 
and you know how many books and, 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 and pamphlets are written telling you exactly how to measure how much to drink and the various different kinds of wines and it's grape juice okay and it's white wine or red wine and blue wine you know all kinds of possible scenarios there's an interesting uh, there's an interesting story told about uh, one of the great rabbis who once uh, was giving a class and it was before Pesach and then uh, one of uh, a woman walks in through the rabbi's door, and she asks the rabbi, "Rabbi, I have a question for you." Okay, what's the question? She asks the rabbi, "I want to know: Can you fulfill the obligation of the four cups of wine by drinking milk instead of wine, drinking milk?" So uh, the rabbi heard this question. He takes out from his Tzedakah fund, a large amount of money, and he gives it to the woman. So the students saw all this, so he asked the rabbi, you just gave her so much money, why did you give her, you know, that's such a large sum of money, you can buy, you know, 20 bottles of wine for that money, why did you give her such a large amount of money, she only wanted to know, you wanted to get, you gave her money so you can buy wine. And the rabbi said, look, she asked me the question if she can make the four cups of milk. So that means that she has no chicken or meat. Because if she had chicken or meat, she can't drink the milk because there will be milk and flesh together. So I already figured out that if she doesn't, if she's asking if she can make the four cups of a milk, it means she needs a lot more than just wine. She needs, and if she doesn't have meat, she probably doesn't have anything else what to have to making the Pesach Seder. So the rabbi, rabbi said, I gave her enough to make for her and the whole family the Seder. The point here is, the mitzvah needs to be done in the proper way. Done in the proper way. <clears throat> so, if one drinks less than the required amount, so whatever the requirement is, so if you drink less than the required amount, so, and then he, see, he realizes, so he was sitting at the Seder table, he took a sip, he thought that was okay, then the rabbi comes and says, no, 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 <clears throat> that wasn't good enough, you gotta do it over again, you gotta have another, this time don't take a sip, take a little more, but it was a long break in between, so the first bracha, the initial bracha that was made on the wine is no more wine ballot. So the person asked the rabbi, he says, okay, I'm going to drink another cup now because I'm going to drink now the right amount. But do I need to make a bracha again? So when he decides later to drink, he would need to make a bracha again because the first time around, it did not count. Because when you took a sip and you made the bracha, okay, you made, you made a bracha in vain because it didn't count. You didn't fulfill the requirement. You can't do the mitzvah if it doesn't meet the full criteria, all the details of the mitzvah. Okay. And on Shabbos, you have to drink a certain amount also. That's true too. Yeah. Yep. But on, 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 on Shabbos, we only have one cup. Here we have all the four cups. And the first cup, actually, on Yontav, on Pesach, is the cup of the Kiddush, which we do on Shabbos as well. But the... Uh, Special blessings that we make for the for the kiddush for the cup is 
The first cup, we're making it for the general Kiddush and because we're going to be drinking. Uh, let me just explain this a little bit. There is the blessing of Borei Pri Hagafen that we make before is a blessing for the enjoyment for whenever you drink, even if you take a little sip of wine, you'd have to make a Borei Pri Hagafen. So I'm wrong when I said before, I take that back, that when he made uh, the bracha, he made a bracha in vain. He didn't make a bracha in vain. Because he did a little sip of wine. No matter what, if you drink wine, even any amount, you have to make a Borei Pri Hagafen. But the issue is... Did he fulfill the mitzvah of the first cup? Or let's talk about the second cup. The second cup, there is nothing else. It's just making a bracha bore pri hagofen. If he doesn't ding, if he doesn't drink the required amount, he hasn't fulfilled his obligation. Okay, he drinks. The reason we need to make a bore pri hagofen is not because we're drinking wine again, because you already have the first bore pri hagofen. The reason we make a second bore pri hagofen is because there's a special mitzvah now for the second cup. But if you don't do the proper requirement, then you may need to make the bracha again. Okay, but let's leave alone that bracha. Now, so we're thinking like this now. But here we have another question. If the mitzvah of the wine hinges on doing it while reclining, in other words, we want to know, does the wine on the Seder table need to be the four cups of wine that were required, that we need to do them while reclining. Is reclining a separate mitzvah? In other words, on Pesach, you got to recline. We know throughout the meal we recline. Or is that part of the mitzvah of drinking the wine? So if he did not recline... He didn't do the mitzvah. What? He did not make... Okay, so... Again, in the first paragraph, let's read the first paragraph again. If the mitzvah of the wine hinges on doing it while reclining, is the question. Or is reclining a separate mitzvah? If it is a separate mitzvah, so if he did not recline, he would not make a bracha. Why? Because if you're drinking the wine again, but you, you fulfilled the obligation, the four cups of wine is independent. So you didn't recline, that's not a stipulation. If the four cups of wine are due to the verses in our parsha, this is <coughs> what we're trying to bring out the difference. I know it gets a little bit, uh, uh, they call it lumdish, it gets a little bit detailed. Uh, but if the four cups of wine are due to the verses of redemption in our parsha, then it follows that reciting, that reclining, which shows that the wine is part of redemption. So, if it's associated, the, why we drink the four cups? If we drink the four cups because of the verses in our portion, because they represent redemption. And we know redemption is, uh, is expressed by reclining. Then it makes sense that this is part of the mitzvah, is to recline. If you didn't recline, you didn't really fulfill the mitzvah of the wine. But if we should say, that the, it's another mitzvah. Where do the four cups of wine come from? From the from Paros, from the dream of the Paros butler. That doesn't seem to have any direct connection to the redemption. So there's one mitzvah of drinking four cups of wine, independent for some reason. And then we have another mitzvah of reclining. So when do we recline? When we drink the wine, but it doesn't hinge on that. We'll leave it at that. I just wanted to bring out 
I usually try to follow the Rebbe's discussion. This was the main discussion in the Sikha today. But let me talk about something a little bit more applicable of the Kabbalah. So in the Kabbalah, we talk about the four cups corresponds to the four sons. It's another, we talked about before, but it's we all know that we have the four sons. Of course, we have the wise son. That's the Chacham, right? Now, the Chacham is the highest of levels, right? Who is, comes in the Haggadah? Who comes after the Chacham? It comes the wicked son. What's his name, the wicked son? The Russia, right? But we place the wise son first, but we place the wicked son next to the wise son, right? And then we place the simpleton, which is the tam. And then we place the no not to ask, we place the she'enu yideh So, these are the four cups. If you corresponded to the four worlds of Atsilus, Bri, and the Kabbalah, so the wise son equals Atsilus, the highest level. The wicked son equals Asiya, this lowest world. And the simpleton is Bria, and the Nonad Ask is Yitzira. So the right order would be Atsilus, Bria, Yitzira, Asiya, or wise son, simpleton, Nonad Ask, and the wick, wicked son. But in Dagada, for some reason, it doesn't follow the regular order. You have first the wise son, and then you got the wicked son. Why is that? Why is the Russia placed next to the wise son? It would seem that after the wise son should come the simpleton, then the no, and the wicked son should be last. Why in the Haggadah do we put the wicked son right next to the wise son? And the answer is, so the wise son should influence the wicked son. We want to keep him next to the wise son. We want to keep him next to the wicked son in order that he should be able to get to him and change him around. Which, by the way, just as uh, just remember, we're talking about changing around things. Uh, you may have heard there was a... Uh, this, uh, uh, Sheldon Adelson uh, died today. He passed away. He was a big philanthropist and he was a uh, um, so there is a video circulating. Uh, he had his first marriage uh, in which he adopted his wife's three children. And then he married his second wife, Miriam, and he came to the Rebbe for a blessing. And he introduces his kala, his bride, to the Rebbe on the video. And um, the Rebbe blessed there, there, there. Then his bride says to the Rebbe, Rebbe, I want you to bless me that I should have a child. Bless me that I should have a child. And the Rebbe says to her, why one child? A boy and a girl. <laughs> the Rebbe says, the Rebbe takes two dollars. This is the video is up there. The Rebbe takes two dollars and he gives it to her. And actually, he says, This is for the children that will be born to you. That takes 
<laughs> what do you mean? That takes nerve, yeah. <laughs> that takes somebody who knows, really. He gives her two dollars. He said, those are for the two children that you have. And guess what? She gave birth to two children. I know you're going to ask me, a boy and a girl? No, two boys. <laughs> Matan and Eden. She got, he had two boys. So I'm not going to answer that. Why two boys instead of a boy and a girl? But amazing uh, how the Rebbe uh, predicted and um, she was blessed with these uh, children. So anyways, going back to our discussion, the wise son needs to influence the wicked son. But this also tells us a lot because why? What is the Haggadah about? What is the whole story of Purim? We're trying to relate and to impart and impress and get the next generation, the children, the things to follow. We're trying to inspire the young people. So we have to put the uh, the wise son next to the wicked son so that they can have an impact, have an effect on the other son. But the same thing is true for us. You can see this, that in our corresponding, even though we find ourselves in the lowest of the levels, in this case, by the Haggadah, Asiya and Atsilos are next to each other. So the highest level of world and our world, Asiya, are next to each other. Why would Atsilos be next to Asiya? Well, this is not the right order. Atsilus, Bri, Atsira, and then Asiya. Why in that order? And the answer is because we need more powerful light, just like the wise son to affect the wicked son. We need the wise son there because we cannot affect them without the wise son there. In order to really get through to us in our mundane world, we need a greater level and a higher power and more energy that comes from Atsilus. So, basically, these are the four cups that we drink. We discuss the various different possibilities, why we drink them, and what's the meaning, and also whether we would have to drink it again, make a bracha. Those are various uh, different discussions, but we will move on to the next one. The next one is, I think, a little bit easier. It's a more familiar topic. Let me just get out of here. And let's discuss um, Oh, no, that's not what I want. Let's see. Oh, come on. Why is this not? What it does is it blocks my It sits exactly what I need to see. (laughs) It doesn't let me see. We see the Hebrew of it. No, you're not seeing. You're not seeing what I... For some reason, I want to move this. Oh, I moved the bar because what happens is that the bar stands in my way. Okay. All right. So now we can see. Okay. So we'll go through over here now. Later on the parsha. this we were talking about the promises of Hashem to freedom, and now the Parsha goes on to discuss how Hashem gives the plagues. How many plagues did Hashem give? Everybody knows. He gave them the ten plagues. Dumb, the blood, the Tzvardeya, Kinim, Orev, etc. We're not going to discuss 
more than the first four plagues today, because today actually the parsha we have uh, we have the uh, seven plagues actually, and the three uh, coming up. So we'll discuss uh, four of the plagues. We'll discuss. So the question is, why these specific plagues? So, why the dumb Tzvardeya? And uh, is there any significance to that? So I remember I gave one many years ago a whole class about how they correspond to the various different uh, levels of, uh, of service of Hashem. But that's uh, a, another discussion. But here, the first three makos, the first three plagues, was to punish their deity. To punish the, now, we see this in Rashi, right in the beginning. The plague of dumb, blood, Sfardeya, the frogs, and also the kingdom, we'll see, we all had a special point. So, Rashi says, Rashi explains, Hashem says, I'll bring the water of the well will turn into blood. So Rashi explains over there, Rashi says there is no rain that descends in Egypt. The only way Egypt gets water, its irrigation system works that Nilus flows up and then it waters the entire land. And they had various different canals and man-made canals which watered all of the land of Egypt. So basically, what provided the sustenance, the rain, produced all the life pipeline for the uh, for Egypt was the Nile, the Nile River. That provided the water. That's how everything grows. So, therefore, Rashi says, the Egyptians were worshipping the Nile. That was their deity. They said, the Nile River, that's our God. So, therefore, Rashi says, that's why God smit their Avodah And then, he smit them. First, he smit their God, the Nile. And then he smit them. So, now we know the reason for the blood is because it was had to do with the Nile River. Now let's look about the second plague, which is verse 28. See, this is 17. Yudzayin, this is 28. Over here it says, how did the frogs come into Egypt? The verse says, Visharats ha'ye'oir tzvardim. That is the oir, that's the river, the Nile River, is going to swamp these frogs. That means the frogs are also smiting the river. It's still connected to the Nile River. So this was an extension of Hashem smiting the river. Their God. So the first dam, the blood, directly smit the river. Also the Tzvardim that came, the frogs that came from the river was also beating up on their gods. Now, the third one. What was the third one? Anybody want to help me out of here? 
want to make Kinim. sure. Kinim. Kinim. Lice, right? Now, lice. What happened by lice? Just let's see what the verse says. Moshe went and brought in all the lice. So the verse 13 says, by Yasuchain, they did so. Moshe now did so. Aaron waved his staff and he he hit the uh, the the sand of the land and the kinim, the lice was and all the people and the animals, the entire earth was full with kinim and all the land of Egypt. Okay. So after Moshe and Aaron did so and brought the plague, so verse 14 says, so also these necromancers, the magicians, the Egyptian magicians, they did the same thing. They had very kinds of hocus-pocus kinds of sorcery. They were trying to also create these lice. They weren't able to. And Rashi explained because they have no power over a creature which is less than the size of a barley, which these lice were so small, they couldn't do it. Okay? So now, the kidney was in the people and the animals. And finally, what does the verse 15 say? So the necromancers, the khartumim, these magicians, says to Paroi, oh, you know what? This is really God. This is, this is God's finger. Because for as long as they were able to produce and do a similar thing, they said, ah, you know, what is he doing? Everything that he's doing is through sorcery. And everything that he's doing is through magic. We can do magic too. So we're not impressed, they said to Moshe. But once Moshe did the kinim, he brought the lice, and they were not able to re- to copy this. So therefore, the Khartoumim say to Padre, Ezbalikimi, this is God's finger, okay? So, we know why God brought the third plague. Because God wanted them to realize... And finally to understand that this is not just magic of it. So we have already the reason for these three plagues. The first two were to punish their god, the Nile first. The third one was to show them that this wasn't magic or sorcery, but rather that this was part of Hashem that is giving them the place. So now we come to the fourth plague. And the fourth plague is the, what's the fourth plague? Dam, Tzvadeh, Kidim, Orif. What is Orif? A mixture of animals. Right? A mixture of animals attacked them. All kinds of animals and snakes and scorpions, they came all mixed and they were destroying. So, Rashi says that 
there is reasons, and the reasons for this, she says, why, why it was important. Rashi said it was important. Rashi doesn't go through, he just referenced you in the Agodah for some of the reasons. So, this is the first plague, as Rebbe explains, that we need a reason, because the first three we know reasons for. We don't understand the fourth one. But there's another very important point over here that I wanted to see, if we have a few minutes to discuss. Here there's a very important verse, in verse 18. Hashem says, V'hiflesi bayoim hahu es eretz goishin. On that day, I will distinguish the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen, that's the place where my people, where the Jewish people lived, in the land of Goshen. Over there, there is not going to be this mixture of animals. So that you know that I am God amongst the land. Wait a minute. This is the first time, only by the fourth plague, did the verse tell us that the only one who was smitten by the plague were the Egyptians. But the Jewish people, the people that lived in the land of Goshen, they were saved. They were spared. I will make a distinction of that day the land of Goshen, that my land, that they weren't plagued. Now the question really is, but what about what about all the other what about all the other The first three? Yeah. Were the first three in all of the land? Was the Jewish people also there? If it was there, so this is where we have a a, a really an, an issue because the question becomes how could we possibly say, how could we possibly say, the question that we have is, why isn't it written in the first three plagues that they weren't by the Jewish people? Why does it only say by the fourth plague? That's the Medrash says they had to buy, I mean the interpretation, they had to buy water from the Jews and everything, or they had to dig around the Nile River. But how come it only say that? Well, you're going to argue, well, it's obvious, Hashem plagued the Egyptian. Why do we have to tell you that it wasn't by the Jews? So why do we have to tell you over here? So, the Rebbe brings down, there's various opinions about it, and the Rebbe says that some opinions say uh, that actually the only distinction took place by Orif, the other ones, they weren't so terrible, so it was a little blood over there. So it was, they, they drank elsewhere. So there were some frogs over there. Okay, lice. They weren't, the first three, that's the view of the Eben Ezra. He says, look, it wasn't such a terrible uh, plague, so maybe the Jews were plagued by that as well, and that's why the Torah doesn't say it, but the plague of Arev, which was something that destroyed them and killed them, over there, Hashem made a distinction. Hashem made a distinction. Um, but, there is other commentators that take issue 
with the Ram, with the uh, interpretation of the Evan Ezra. Because, but his main question is, well, if everybody was plagued, everybody was plagued. How are the how are the Egyptians going to know that it's a unique plague for them? Because they see that there's something in this country, something going on. If we were going to say that the Jews were also plagued at that, and it wasn't too terrible, as the Ebenezer says, so why, how are the Egyptians going to know that it's from Hashem? But now, the way we explained it, the first three plagues weren't plagues for just the reason of plagues. They were for specific points. The points were beating on their idol, on the deity. So it doesn't matter that the blood, the Jew, is also drinking from that water and he gets plagued too. That doesn't take away from beating up on the deity. That doesn't take on on the... On, the, uh, on that concept. That's not made just as a plague for the Egyptian. That's made as a plague to beat up on their deity. So therefore, it's okay, even if, as a result, the Jewish people are also suffering, because we also can include the idea of the Ebenezer. It's not such suffering. But, but the, the point here is, it's not meant to make a distinction. The first three plagues were meant the first two were meant to be on their deity. Now, the plague of Kinim also had its purpose, was to prove that it was from Hashem. So it doesn't matter that it's also coming to the Jewish people, but it still proves that it is from Hashem. Only when we're starting to the plague of Orif. This is the way the Rebbe understands Rashi's view is. Only when we come to the plague of Arif, to the plague of mixture of the animals, and these animals are destroying, Rashi says, well, no, they only destroyed, the Pasuk therefore says here, they only destroyed the Egyptians, but they did not touch the, the Jewish people. So this is the, the idea uh, of the various explanation why we have these particular four in the fourth fourth first plagues and again in the simple text in Rashi Rashi doesn't comment specifically so the Rebbe learns like this very important this is important to know because uh, before we study the Sikha uh, this talk of the Rebbe I didn't know myself exactly but the Rebbe argument is since Rashi does not say anywhere that there was a distinction between the Jewish people and the Egyptian, doesn't say anywhere. And in the verse, it only says by the fourth plague clearly that there was a distinction. That means that the first three plagues affected the Jews as well. But the uh, strong question that we have why did the plagues hit the Jews? Or what proof did the uh, Egyptians have? 
So the first three was not for proof or anything. I mean, the first two were to smite their gods because Rashi says, the first thing when you smite, you smite their deity. And after you smite the deity, you smite them, that was the purpose. So it didn't matter that also the Jews ended up suffering for that. And then the third plague came to prove that it was the hand, hand of Hashem. Only by the fourth plague, which was the real plague, uh, the destruction, that's where the plague made a distinction, Hashem made a distinction, that the Egyptians got it and the Jewish peoples were saved. And, you know, uh, we have our own plague. Uh, we have today, uh, we have the Corona plague. And the Corona plague doesn't make a difference <laughs> between people, between countries and continents. You know, people think a lot of times when you're in the United States, you know, things that are going on. I mean, now we don't think of that either. You know, we saw what happened in the capital, But, you know, a lot of times we think, Tzuras happen away. We're sort of spoiled. We know we have, things are going, Baruch Hashem, you know, we're going pretty good over here. We don't have to worry. This plague doesn't distinguish between people, between continents, between race, between creed. It threatens everybody, all of us. And, but, like of the Makis, one of the things is, we need to all realize that we are all in the hands of Hashem. And we don't have really, ultimately, the power to control everything. And, of course, whatever power we have to make sure, to watch our health, to protect ourselves, we must, and it's an absolute necessity. But at the end of the day, there are certain things that we have to, we're shown, that it's out of our control. This is the hand of God, Edzbe Likimi. But I think that once we recognize as Belikim here, Hashem is going to take it away, just like He took away the plagues eventually, take it away from us and bless us all with health, happiness, and success. But good, good, good years, long life, and prosperity, and achas, and shalom. And, you know, in America, especially today, we can use peace today because there is a lot of animosity going around. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of divisiveness. I think our country, which the success was the fact that we were in peace, this divisiveness is not good for anybody. It's not a matter whose fault it is or who's to blame. But the bottom line is, it's going to impact us all. So we should pray for peace and hope that we can restore that, you know, camaraderie. You know, the most important thing of decency amongst people. And also, Shalom Imroma, Vyasa Shalom Aleinu, Vako Yisrael, Imru Amen.